You are listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast by The Crossing on how to live into God's bigger story. Hi, welcome to A Bigger Life. I'm Dave Cover. I'm going to look today at a New Testament passage. I'm just thinking about the last couple episodes we've been doing, and it's got me thinking about this passage in Colossians chapter 1. Now, I want this podcast to be motivational in through prayer and meditation, wanting to live in God's bigger story and connecting with God through prayer and connecting with God through meditating on His Word and having this time where we're drawing closer to God and He's drawing closer to us. That's kind of the focus of this podcast. Now, having said that, to me, at least, we're all wired differently. But to me, uh, what helps me do that is the the truths of the gospel, the this bigger story that God has brought me into through Christ. And the more I understand that story and the more I understand what God is doing and what he's done and what this his motive is in my life, what his purpose is in my life, what his intention is in my life, what his will for me is, the more I understand that, the more I want to walk with him, the more I want to draw near to him, the less I see him as some judge in the sky who is trying to keep my life from being what I want it to be. And the more I see it, that I'm the idiot who's actually keeping my life from being what I want it to be. And he's the one who's trying to give me life and love and goodness and joy and fulfillment. And the more I can see God that way, the more I want to draw closer to him in prayer, the more I want to live my my day with him, talk to him, converse with him, and have this sense of relationship with him. So even though it's going to sound a little bit like I'm getting theological, my goal is relationship with God. So let me read this passage in Colossians 1, starting in verse 12, and I'm going to read through verse uh, 20. And this is uh, where the Apostle Paul is, he's finishing what he's praying about, and then he's going to talk about why he's praying that. So he says, give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. And there's a lot of religious words in there. If you're kind of new to Christianity, new to the Bible, there's a lot of stuff you don't understand. I'll explain it in a minute. And then he, verses 15 through 20 are what a lot of scholars think. This is a, a, a quotation from an, a very early Christian hymn. It's very poetic in the way it's laid out. So it's kind of in a, in a sense, it's like a psalm not as a prayer, but as a hymn. A lot of the early hymns they sang in the church were doctrinal hymns. They were hymns about who Jesus is and what his intention was in the gospel, and so, uh, which is a great way to, to worship God. And so that's what this verses 15 through 20 probably is. And it says, in, in, it, Paul says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. You can kind of hear the cadence here that it would be a hymn. All things have been created through him and for him. 
He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Now that that phrase, all creation, all things, everything, those phrases appear seven times in these verses that make a hymn. Now, sometimes seven is significant in the Bible because it's talking about God's purpose of shalom, the kingdom of God, the seventh day. And so that's maybe significant. I don't know if it is or not. Sometimes I think it is and not accidental. But in those verses, 15 through 20, the focus, the seven times it's mentioned, is what God is doing for everything in all creation. And so we want to understand Paul's point here is that is that Jesus was the God who created the entire universe. He says the sun is the image of the invisible God. So God is invisible, but Jesus is the perfect manifestation. He is the perfect image. When we look at Jesus, we see God. We see what God is like. And he says in verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. So Jesus is the fullness of God. He is the image of the invisible God. Uh, and then it says, he'll say in Colossians 2, 9, for in Christ, in this perfect saving human king, Christ, the Messiah, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So this is the biblical view of Jesus, that he is God in, in human flesh. All things have been created, he says uh, in verses 16 through 17, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and I think that means in time, like when Jesus said in John eight fifty eight, before Abraham was, I am. He's saying before anything, all things have been created through him, and so in time before all things, and in him, all things hold together. He's the one who's holding everything together. Everything was created by Jesus. Everything, and he is before anything that was ever made. And so the Apostle John writes in the very first verses of the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So he was God. He's with God. He's the same. He's distinct. This is mysterious, but he's with God in the very beginning. He was God. And so John says in verse three, chapter one, verse three, through him, all things were made without him. Nothing was made that has been made. Now, John's just being uh, the way John writes. He, he, he writes that way. He's not he's not having trouble finding his words. He's being kind of poetic. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And then he says in verse four, in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. So Jesus is the one who created everything. Anything that has been made in the universe was made by Jesus. So John says that, Paul says that here. When he said, when he th- said, all things have been created through him and for him and in him, all things hold together. So somehow Jesus even now is holding all things together. The author of Hebrews says in the chapter one, verse 
2, In these last days God has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. So the author of Hebrews said, Through Christ, God made the universe. John says, Through Christ, everything that's been made, anything that's been made, was made by Christ. And then Paul says, All things were created by Him, for Him, and He holds all things together. And so the Hebrews verse goes on to say, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So just as as Paul says, in him all things hold together, the author of Hebrews is saying he's sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That verse sounds a lot like the passage we're looking at now, that, that God himself in the person of Jesus before he was born, Jesus created the entire universe. But then Jesus, it says in John 1, 14, became flesh and dwelt among us. And so this, this is exactly what Hebrews is saying. He's the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. And after he had provided purification for sins as a human being, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. If you're getting lost, let me just restate something to simplify it. The pre-incarnate Jesus was the God who created the entire universe. And the incarnate Jesus was fully God who also became fully human. That's what he took on was human flesh so that he could rightfully and legally and fully take back what was intended in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, that we would, human beings would reflect God, live in his glory, reflect his glory, live in his love, continue his work of creation as we exercise God's dominion, loving dominion, loving rule, loving care and cultivation over the earth in God's image. That was lost when Adam and Eve sinned and Jesus came as God and humanity, fully God, fully human, to take back what God intended for us in Genesis. So God is invisible, but Jesus, who became the saving, perfect human king, perfectly reveals and embodies the I Am. He perfectly reveals and embodies God himself in human form, and he is also the very true God-intended humanity, without sin, perfect image of God, perfect relationship with God. And so Paul says in this passage that we're looking at in Colossians 1 that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, which means that he, what he says in verse 18, he's the firstborn from among the dead. So Jesus is the first to rise from the dead with a resurrection body. So remember, Paul says that he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, when he's talking about Jesus's resurrection. He's the first of a new creation. So there's other places in the Bible where people were raised from the dead. Uh, Jesus raised people from the dead. Others, a couple people, one person at least was raised from the dead uh, in 
in for in second Kings four thirty five, but they were raised in the, from the dead, raised back into fallen human life only to die again. Jesus is the first of this bodily resurrection that's immortal, raised in glory, raised in power, raised in, in spiritual life as well. And so he's the first of this new creation. So God the, that created this universe became human the perfect human in the person of Jesus to be the first of a restored creation, to, to be the first of a resurrection. And so we, let me keep it simple. We can't see all that's going on behind the scenes that Christ has done and is doing. But Paul talks about it here. The, the hymn talks about it and Paul quotes it. He says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. So there's, again, Jesus is taking back. He's reconciling the all things that we were supposed to rule over in Genesis 1, 26 through 28. But there's more going on here because the, the words that Paul mentions when he talks about principalities and powers and all that, he's, he's talking here about what God has done in Christ that relates also to this spiritual drama that's going on. So Paul says in verse 20, Colossians 1, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. There's something going on here in heaven and on earth. Paul says in Colossians, he comes back in Colossians 2, and he talks about Jesus in some way, some mysterious way. Verse 15, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. There's something going on in the spirit world that Jesus' death is also doing that we don't see, that we're not quite understanding Paul's alluding to it. There's a spiritual drama that's taking place parallel to the human drama. And Jesus brought some sort of reconciliation of heaven back to earth, the spirit world back to the human world through Christ on the cross. I don't think that's saying that spiritual beings are being redeemed by Christ. I think what it's saying is that this spiritual world that is now in chaos will be brought back to order because I think other parts of the Bible talk about spiritual beings being judged forever. So it's not talking about redeeming them, but it is talking about this redemption that's taking place between the spiritual world and the physical human world and brought back into this heaven back on earth through Christ. And so when Adam and Eve sinned, not only was the harmony between God and human beings destroyed, but also disorder came into all creation that Paul talks about in Romans 8. All creation is experiencing this bondage to decay. He talks about something happened in, the, in, in, in creation itself when human beings sinned. And I think it has something to do with the fact that we weren't able to spread Eden throughout the world of thorns and thistles and dust and death. And so the world remained in thorns and thistles and dust and death. And there's something going on there spiritually in the spiritual realm as well. So when Jesus, God himself, the creator of the universe, became human and died on the cross, in some way he made peace possible between God and humans and also restored in the harmony in the physical world. And, and that will come, that will be fully realized when Christ returns, Paul talks about in Romans eight twenty one.
So here's the point I want us to get, that, that one of the realities, one of those realities that happened when Christ died on the cross is that Christ, the perfect human saving king, the Messiah, Paul says in verse 12, has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Holy people, we want to get the biblical image here and not this culturally shaped misnomer of what holiness is. Our culture wants to portray holiness as boredom, as anger, as as meanness, as judgmentalism, of being uh, uh, without fun, which is the exact opposite of the vi- the biblical view of holiness. Well, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is joy. Jesus talked over and over about how I came, that your joy might be made full, that my joy might be in you, that God has this, he's the He's the source of joy. Joy comes from the creator. Human beings didn't create joy. The creator of this universe created joy, and joy is at the fabric of his universe. Holiness is being restored to the joy. It's being restored to the light, the love, the glory, the splendor of what God intended us to be what God gives us of himself. And so when it says he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people, that means being restored to this holiness, this restoration, this wholeness of joy and love and light and true laughter in the kingdom of light. This is an amazing verse because he's qualified you. You don't qualify yourself when Christ died, when Christ, when God became human, he represented you and he perfectly qualified you to share in this inheritance of restoration and this kingdom of light. So he says in verse 13, having rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And that's a mouthful and it's easy to kind of lose it when you're just listening here. But it's like what Hebrews 1, 3 says that we read. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. There's this reconciliation of being brought back into the presence of majesty and glory and light because he provided purification for sins. He qualified you and me and us to share in the inheritance of holiness, to share in the inheritance of light, to be rescued, that's a powerful word, rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of love of the son he loves. So the whole point here is that God is eternally all in for you. He became human forever, rose bodily as a human being forever, will reign on earth as a human being in Jesus forever. He's the perfect saving human king forever because he is for you. He wanted to qualify you, to rescue you, to bring you into this as a sharer, a co-heir of this inheritance of light and love 
and life. And so he has purified you from your sin. He has qualified you for an inheritance of being made restored holy. He's rescued you. He's brought you into his rule, his kingdom, his light, his glory, his majesty, his splendor of light and life and love and joy. So Colossians, Paul says in Colossians 2.13, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us. Listen to this language. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Don't get bored with this. Because if you really understand the gospel, that God has taken this legal indebtedness that you have with the creator of this universe because of your rejection of him, because of your sin, this being dead in your sin, God made you alive with Christ. He did it. He qualified you to share. He made purification. He forgave us all our sins and he canceled the charge. He took that that stood against us and he, can, and, and he nailed it to the cross. This document that condemned us, he took and nailed it to the cross, Paul says. So here's what you got to get. God is for you. He's wanting not to hold your sins against you, but to take that Every sin that's written down that's legally charging you to condemn you, he wants to take that and tear it up. He wants to take that and he's taken it and he's nailed it to the cross in the body of Jesus on the cross. And he's given you this righteousness of the perfect image of God in Jesus he has given to you so that you could be restored to Genesis 1, 26 through 28, restored to the life and love of sharing in his love and reflecting his glory and continuing his rule and work of creation in this kingdom of light and this kingdom of love and this kingdom of, of life in Jesus and he's rescued you, he's qualified you, he has taken your sin so that he can give you his life and his righteousness and his light and his love and his glory. This is what God's will is for you. This is the bigger story he has called you into. This is what's happening. It's happening behind the scenes in ways we can't see. We have to just take his word for it and we have to trust him. And so submitting to Christ, submitting to Jesus as the Christ, the perfect saving human king is the most sane and sensible and life-giving and light-bringing and love-living choice we can make in this world. And so we do that not because we're trying to keep God from punishing us. He's taking care of that on the cross, but because we're trying to live into this bigger story of light and life and love and joy that he has rescued us to bring us into this incredible story. We have no idea, but that's what Jesus has done for us. It's always a little harder to pray through New Testament passages, but we can do that here. We can try to do that here at least. There are certain New Testament passages where we can use them as prayer, and I want to do that here. It's a little harder, but we can do that because the language is poetic. Like I said, it's probably an early Christian hymn. If there's a cadence to it. It has powerful word images to it, and our imagination becomes something where it helps in our prayer life. And I, let me just lead us in a time of doing that here. 
I'll try not to make too big of a deal out of it, but I just want us to focus on just drawing near to God and thanking Him, as Paul says here, just joyful giving, joyfully giving thanks to the Father. And then he goes into all this, who qualified us. So I want to do that here. I want to lead us in a time of prayer where we are joyfully, because that's holiness, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you, qualified me, if we are followers of Christ, if we want Christ to be our King, He has qualified us to share in the inheritance that He has here. So let's take some time to do that now. Heavenly Father, this Father who is for us, our Father who created the entire universe through Jesus. We don't understand all this, but somehow Jesus, the creator of this entire universe, this this second person of the Trinity, before he was human, before all time began, created everything that there is. And this second person of the Trinity willfully submitted to the will of the Father to become human in order to qualify me. Paul took it very personally in Galatians 2.20 when he said, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So you, Jesus, became human for me, infinitely for me, because you love me 100% without loving anyone any less because you are infinite. You came for me and you qualified me to share in this inheritance of holiness, the, the inheritance among your newly created, restored, healed, holy people, joyful people, laughing, life-giving, life-loving people in your radiance, in your kingdom of light that you have, you have qualified me to live in your kingdom of light. You've qualified me because you loved me. And so I joyfully give thanks to you, God, my Father. I give thanks to you, God, the Son, because you have done it. You have rescued me from this dominion of death, this dominion of sin, this dominion of the darkness of night, and you have brought me into this kingdom of love, this kingdom of your Son, this kingdom of life, this kingdom of light, where I have complete redemption. I have been bought 100% out of this slavery. I have been bought out of this bondage to dust and death and thorns and thistles. And I have been given the forgiveness of sin, the perfect forgiveness of sins. You have taken this legal document of all of my sins, past and present, and the ones that I yet will commit. You have taken that and you have canceled it. You have torn it up. You have nailed it to the cross in the body of Jesus. And you have broken through the other side of condemnation, broken through the other side of death, into life, into resurrection. You are the first of a new creation. You are the firstborn from among the dead. You are the first resurrection of my resurrection. You are the first of this kingdom of light, this reconciliation of heaven with earth. You have done it through Christ. You have done it through this resurrection, this death and resurrection of Jesus, who is the perfect 
radiance of your glory. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. You have done it. You became human, the perfect image of God, the perfect representation of God, the radiance of God's glory. And you have broken through and you are the first resurrected, the firstborn of a new creation. For you have created all things. In you, all things were created. The entire universe. All things have been created through you and for you. You created me for you. You created me because you want me to exist in your universe. You want me in your universe. And you hold me together. Even now, you hold my molecules together. You hold all things together by your powerful word. You hold me together because you have given me eternal life. You have a plan for my body. You have a plan for me. You are the first from among the dead because you want me to live forever in a body that is immortal, incorruptible, powerful, glorious, and full of spiritual life. I give thanks to you that you have reconciled me to you. I give thanks to you that you have forgiven me of my sin. You have given me your kingdom of light. You have brought me into your forever love, your forever joy, your forever light, your forever life, because you will give me a new creation and a resurrection, and you are all in. You are 100% in forever. You are committed to me. You have already done it. And so I can commit to you. I can surrender to you. I can trust you as my perfect king. I can trust you as the perfect will for my life. I can trust you as the one who loves me perfectly, infinitely, as vast as this universe is that you created. So even beyond that is the vastness of your love for me. That's a picture. It's a measure of your vastness of love for me the goodness of your will for me, the glory of your future for me, of light and life and love. And so I trust you, Lord Jesus. I trust you, Heavenly Father. I give you praise. I give you thanks. And I submit to you. I submit to you as my King. I submit to you as my Christ. I submit to you as my life and my light and my joy and my love. I trust you. I rest in you. I rely upon you. I surrender to you. I surrender all things to you. I submit all things to you. I believe you. I believe your word. I believe your motives toward me are love and light and joy and life. This inheritance you have qualified me to share in. So I want your will for my life. I don't want to be outside your will for my life. Why would I want to be outside that will? 
I repent of all the ways I think my will is better. And I turn back to you. I come back to you. And I give thanks to you. And trust you. And more and more I want to love you and live for you. From now on and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.